0: Hello, welcome to another episode of Elevate Intel. This is Vijay Viswanathan,
1: and I'm Cedric Layton, and join us for this episode of Elevate Intel.
0: So, Cedric, in this episode of Elevate Intel, a topic that has been percolating as I try to write this article um, on agenda versus mission. I think there are some um, poignant discussion areas that you and I have been speaking about. And as we go through this, one thing that really stuck out to me is what are the key characteristics of leadership, especially during a time of crisis? Each one of us, during the course of our career, in our personal life, we have had various challenging situations. But during that situation, you are less likely to really think about, am I doing the right decision? Am I acting as the effective leader that I want to be that thought process doesn't exist, or that process, thought process doesn't necessarily come up as your the core objective. And the reason for that is simple. It's human psychology. We are focused on the emotional aspect of the problem in front of us. And we start looking at the problem as part of the, or rather, you start associating yourself into the problem, and you think inside the problem. But what I have started realizing what the course of time is, I always do a self-analysis after an incident or an event or something that I have experienced. And when I do my introspective analysis, I often wonder why is that I'm unable to bring in the same thinking that I'm doing post-incident into the incident time frame. And, and the realization is this is where you, you really understand leadership is more about an acquired experience. It's more about the, the wisdom of the crowds, where you read more about different perspectives, you're conditioning your brain, you're conditioning your decision-making matrix, and you are conditioning yourself to think and act like a leader during a crisis. And I think this has got a very profound effect on the quality of decisions that I tend to make, and I eventually have narrowed it down into two simple buckets. I think those two perspectives on my side is about agenda and a mission. During the crisis, if I think about my personal agenda, I'm able to make a decision for myself quite effectively, quite easily. But if I think about the common mission, if this is for a group of people, the decisions that I make will impact a large uh, a subset of people or their life and whatever be the situation, the dynamics changes quite heavily. And the art of making myself comfortable to make decisions during those times is what's taking us through today's journey and the conversation about agenda versus mission.
1: Absolutely, Vijay. You know, the the big thing that I I think about when you look at leadership is, you know, what is your role as a leader? You know, what are the kinds of things that you're looking for? And the key thing here, when you talk about agenda versus mission, you think about, you know, somebody who uh, is fulfilling their responsibilities perhaps to themselves first and you know when i think of the term agenda specifically I often think uh, of the term careerist. You know, somebody who is engaged in uh, a profession of any of any type uh, that comes in and says, "Okay, I am going to uh, take advantage of these things. I am good at X. Uh, I can learn Y, and I can move forward into that next position uh, because not only is it good uh, on my resume, but it is good for me." And that is something that is very different, very distinct from the idea of mission, which uh, you know kind of connotes the idea of servant leadership. In other words, you are a servant to the mission. The mission has an overarching uh, role in one's determination of uh, you know what one's place is in a company and how you're going to uh, use your role for the greater good, not for self aggrandizement, but for the greater good that uh, you need to uh, bring forward, if you're going to deal with all kinds of events, whether they be events uh, that are, uh, you know, just as a matter of routine, or events in a crisis. And that, that really makes, I think, for, uh, you know, the big difference between uh, the two approaches, the agenda versus the mission approach.
0: And that's actually a great uh, leadership quality. One of the bigger takeaways based on the past 25 plus years of experience in the corporate world, Cedric, has been you know, a traditional leader usually looks at the power and control and the span of the organization as a measure of status. But a servant leader or someone who understands the difference very clearly and feels the difference more than understands, feels the difference between an agenda and a mission, I think, shares power and control to drive engagement. It's a huge difference between using power versus sharing power and the the it, to me the dichotomy of agenda versus mission, it's it's the same continuum. It's a, both the ends of the continuum, the opposite ends. And on one side, you really are looking at uh, the, the ability to impact or make a decision that changes something. And then on the other hand, you're influencing and you're creating a collective coalition in order to impact the change. And what really strikes me, Cedric, borrowing the start process when I look at where we are today, the state of the union, the various challenges that we are seeing right now in front of us, the COVID-19, the challenges that's impacting the US economy, the race uh, tensions right now. If we really think through all of these, the reason why we have perennial challenges and where decisions have been made or attempted decisions have been made for a period of time, but it has not resulted in something meaningful is because, the decisions that were made according to me, in my opinion, is, is made from an agenda viewpoint to address a particular PR problem. If the mission was to address a larger subset of the problem and change the system completely, the type of discussions that you're going to have will be more of a roundtable conference it will be bringing together various players from the community and truly making a change that is visible transparent and acceptable at every level and i and i think that dichotomy is where people get stuck have you had experiences like this cedric in your career and in, in the defense segment
1: absolutely vj and you know it's it's the difference you know the, the, as i mentioned earlier where you're talking uh, you know from the agenda perspective I see the analogy, a very strong analogy to the careerist Uh, The mission perspective translates very nicely in the defense sector and gives you a sense of the the greater good. I have a greater cause for which I am engaging in, and why I am engaging in this particular way. And that greater cause uh, is something that wins out in the long run. Uh, But you have to remember that uh, you know organizations are made up of all kinds of different people, and in a lot of cases careerists, i.e. people that follow agendas, uh, and we all do to a certain extent, so this is, you know, this is something that we have to always keep in mind, but it's a matter of degree, but people who follow certain agendas are going to, if they follow them a preponderance of the time, are only looking out for number one, which in their view is themselves, but the real number one The real number one, VJ should be the mission and the organization that you're a part of and really the greater society. Uh, So this is where you bring all those better angels of our nature uh, that people have talked about so eloquently to the fore. And these are the kinds of times where those better angels of our nature become so exceptionally important. Important and where you know, an agenda versus, uh, versus mission type situation is one in which you have to look at in a crisis, you have to look at mission first, because if you don't f- uh, fulfill the requirements of your corporate or organizational mission, then you will not be able to fulfill any goals in your personal agenda if uh, you, you're trying to actually do something for a, a cause that is greater than yourself. And that is why I think it becomes really, really important. Uh, you know, the the Defense Department, uh, you know, is, is often touted as being uh, this bastion of virtue, of great virtue all, uh, you know, uh, throughout American society. And there are a lot of great people in the Department of Defense, but but we have to make it very clear that uh, you know sometimes those better angels of our nature are not being followed by everyone in that department that is why you know you have people who have worn the american uniform who have frankly not turned out so well you know people uh you know like benedict arnold uh people like general mcclellan from the civil war uh you know those kinds of people and of course they're less extreme examples uh you know throughout history uh but uh, you know that that idea of uh you know having a personal agenda override a greater good uh, something that is and uh, you always have to think of the greater good and leadership uh, training should always inculcate not the bottom line but the bottom line of greater good in not only the training but in the execution of a career plan.
0: Some of the practical challenges in the private sector and some of the leadership positions that I have held and What I continue to advise some of the other leaders today, I I, I tend to be using the amplification hypothesis quite extensively in the conversations that I engage with in my advisory work today. Now, what does amplification hypothesis really mean? Um, I think the simplest way to break this down, everyone believes in something and they have very clear opinions about it. To me, a strong leader, a leader is obviously in a certain position because they have exhibited certain types of qualities and they have earned that position. So some of these people have stronger convictions than others. So people that have these strong beliefs and convictions than others, when you have a disagreement in a group like that, it's very natural for you and I Uh, people with stronger convictions, people who like to read a lot, what happens is, Cedric, we immediately refute the conviction with data points. When you bring data into the conversation and you take a strong position, that's that knee-jerk response that essentially kind of creates that, what I call as the foundations of the wall. You have first laid down the foundation of your, you know, the base of the wall. As you keep adding to that conversation over a period of time and you keep percolating that feeling of separate convictions, the walls keep going higher and higher. So the amplification hypothesis therefore states that if your team disagrees with what you desire, the best way is to find a common ground rather than building the foundation of the wall. So I always tell uh, in my advisory engagement with senior leaders, find that common ground. Instead of building the wall, build a common ground and then start your negotiation in the common ground. So the amplification hypotheses require certain fine-tuned appreciation of perceptive leadership, emotional intelligence. You know, these things can be inculcated by, by practicing active listening. You want to engage with more articulate questions. And what I noticed is demonstrating acute respect during these conversations when I'm having a conflict really goes a long way. And it's it's almost like everybody's, the same to me, approaches the most important aspect, the type of words that I choose. And again, over a period of time, I have learned to optimize this, you uh, know, 10 years ago, my approach my approach would have been a little bit more sharper. And, and right now I look at everyone's opinions as something coming from a point of a good perspective. They all wanna achieve the right thing. And then I look at their personal bias that may they have. And it's not important for us to look at it and say, hey, you have a bias, so you probably are making this decision but it's important for me to understand that there is a bias. I need to acknowledge that, but I need to work with that empathy in my mind to understand how do I take the positive point out of that conversation and how do I focus on creating a positive environment.
1: Yeah, Vijay, think, I think that's absolutely essential. You know, So instead of building walls, you are really, and you know in when as you, you find that common ground, you're really building bridges. And that really makes the difference. It's that empathetic approach. Uh, That willingness, uh, you know, as Aretha Franklin, you know, famously said in her song, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, that is exactly what we're talking about here. If you don't have that foundational respect and if you don't have, uh, you know, if if you haven't cultivated uh, the emotional intelligence that you need in order to, uh, you know, not only get along with people but bring out the best in others that is is what you know many people i think find lacking in in a lot of different organizations today and and this is why what you just said is so important VJ because it's about building bridges it is about uh, you know making sure um that you know as you think about uh, you know your own role uh, your own own place uh, you you know, in a construct like the amplification hypothesis what you're looking for is a way in which to move things forward a lot of organizations are by their very nature especially mature organizations are by their very nature static organizations i uh, and uh, you know it does take an effort to uh gain internal momentum to move things forward to create change uh to create that dynamic that brings people along whether it's a cultural dynamic or an economic dynamic an economic imperative that all of a sudden you know becomes a, an essential piece of of what you're doing because it, you know your company's survival might be at stake for example uh but the idea of empathy and the idea of bringing out all those best features uh out of the people that you're working with whether they're in your organization or in uh, other organizations that you happen to be associated with that i think is is so so essential i uh, you know where you know when, when you take a look at that and i think one other thing that's really important also is the kinds of leadership skills that that um, People are chosen for you had mentioned uh, you know earlier that a lot of people in leadership positions are qualified for those positions they have been chosen because of some innate ability that they that they have or a learned ability that they might have and that is often true and organizations try to recognize their best and brightest as the as the saying goes but you know I think uh, you know, one of the things that we need to bear in mind is that leaders. Don't always know everything, and I've seen a lot of people, uh, you know, make some mistakes. Uh, you know, we had talked a little bit about, uh, you know, the the really big question when it comes to the military. You know, do generals really know everything? And the answer is not at all. I, and in fact, the best generals recognize that they're not necessarily the smartest person in the room, uh, but they usually try to make damn sure that they bring the smartest person to the room. And that is what we're trying to do. It is, you know, if you're leading an organization or even a part of an organization, if you can leverage the talents of the smartest people, and uh, there are people that are differently smart in different areas, but if you recognize those differences and can leverage those uh, those talents and bring them to bear at the right moment you can achieve many many things that are uh, you know thought to be sometimes impossible but if you can do it uh, you will not only change what your company dynamic is but you will also change the way in which your company is perceived and you'll change that for the better and for the good
0: what resonates to me when I think through this particular topic is the echo chamber. One of the common themes that I've seen in institutional leadership and the reason why I say institutional leadership, uncommon times that we are experiencing today, you know, be it the COVID-19 or other challenges that we see in the market, it requires uncommon leadership. Institutional leadership will help you run the business. It will help you run the operation. Of course, this is not the general uh, rule of thumb. There is always exceptional leaders in every corner. It's just that we need to look at what they are doing, and we'll always find them. But from a, from a viewpoint of an observer, uh, the the bigger impact right now is feeling comfortable, confident, empathetic, in order to make those uncommon leadership decisions, in my opinion, requires a broader orchestration. It requires planning. It requires us to really look at various sources of information. The way I would typically make decisions, Cedric, in any project, any engagement, due diligence work, you're obviously seeking experts and intelligence, and then you're structuring your thinking in order to make the best decision possible. But during times of crises, you may not have all these pieces of information that you would typically like to have in front of you. So where do you base your core decisions? I think it, it, it comes down to this. When we go to the social platforms, media engagements, or calling up your friend who thinks exactly similar to you, I feel like we get into the the never-ending cycle of echo chamber, we acknowledge each other, we agree with each other, but are we really addressing people with different convictions in the room, acknowledging their requirements and making a decision that's gonna support them? On the same token, Cedric, on the same token, there are times when you have to make decisions that needs to be hard-lined. And this becomes an interesting topic, and I'm more than certain from a defense perspective, you, you may have seen these scenarios. I'm pretty sure every decision to go to war or engage in war, you always have two different opinions. How does that play out, Cedric?
1: well vj that's uh, you know that that decision of course is a very complicated uh, process usually and uh, there's a huge political aspect uh, to it uh, but you know it's kind of like a choir uh, you know in an organization uh, that uh, gets things uh, ready and you know creates a harmony uh, you know in in many ways uh, you know very much like a choir is what you want to achieve and in a place where um, the standard is okay, and you're repeating what has already been composed, a, an established type situation, uh, you want to go to a concert venue that has great acoustics, and that those great acoustics, in, in essence, uh, take away or minimize those discordant notes, and they amplify uh, the notes of harmony. Uh, when you're looking at decisions such as, you know, really profound ones such as, do we go to war? Uh, then you have to bring so many disparate voices in there and that uh, beautifully appointed hall in which you would have your concert is no longer sufficient because you want outside influences that are you know that are uh, that are blowing through uh, these different areas you want to know what are the consequences of uh, you know performing that military action what are the second and third order effects as we call them in other words, what are the unintended consequences. And if you, you know, look at what the unintended consequences might be, you may also want to make sure that you uh, manage things in such a way uh, that you get to consequences that uh, you can manage throughout the crisis. So if you, for example, go to war, uh, then you want to know not only what is my first step, but what is my next step going to be and what is the step after that? And then what is the desired end state when all the steps have been completed? You know, what kind of, if I'm invading a country, what kind of country do I want to see at the end of this? Uh, You know, what is the enemy going to do? And the same is is true in business. You know, as you're working through different problem sets, what is the desired end state that I want? To achieve? Am I trying to do certain things that are impossible uh, for a variety of reasons? Or can I make what seems impossible possible by doing certain things and engaging in a step by step analysis and then execution of? A particular trend uh, or a particular line of thinking and you know are you bringing all the voices together that you need in order to make a decision like this uh, you're never going to have perfect information but what you do need to do is you need to uh, become that orchestra conductor or that choir director uh, so that you can bring all of those different areas together and that then becomes the way in which you move forward I think what happens is when you are trying to
0: look at decisions, the the takeaway from that conversation is the gravity of each decision is different. So making decisions that's obviously impacting something as substantial and profound as, are we gonna engage in war? Is this in response or retaliation? There's so many dimensions to that simple point versus when you are in a condition where your enemy is the COVID-19. If you think about what's really happening in front of us, this virus is causing untold havoc and you're almost at a situation where you are at the mercy of the cycle when you really don't have enough scientific approach to engage and respond to that. So what happens is you're now in the thought process of just like how manufacturing was outsourced and where we are right now in the supply chain market, what, I mean, my biggest takeaway from this, the COVID-19 situation is the, the weakness that we have globally in supply chain and how different markets are really struggling. The over-dependence of the manufacturing uh, you know, centers in China and the Asian market And to me, what has happened is Cedric, there has been an outsourcing of leadership thinking, just the way there is outsourcing of everything else. And by outsourcing leadership, you're now making decisions that have insurance built into those decisions. I almost wonder sometimes if we have lost the ability to make bold decisions that set the course And this is where the emotional and the humanizing aspects of decision-making comes to play. Every decision, every communication about the decision you make has to have hope. But I also recognize and acknowledge that it's not always a rose garden. You always have to be transparent, clear, but also hopeful. So even during the most distressing times, even during the most challenging of the decisions, I think there is still a way to approach the problem in a manner that encourages and instills that collaborative engagement. We spoke about demolishing the walls and building the bridge. I think it's a foundational element for understanding the decision gravity. So if, the, if our fundamental approach is to build bridges, no matter what the decision gravity is all about you are now beginning to think in a collective
1: fashion absolutely vj and you know one of the big things to uh, insert into the thinking process is something that you touched on uh, you know and it it implies uh, you know something that i think is very important and that is the term optimism Uh, You know, in the military, uh, some of us had the saying, optimism is a force multiplier. And what that means is optimism is is sometimes translated into esprit de corps uh, or in the French, élan. Uh, Napoleon used to use that quite a bit. Uh, The basic idea is with optimism and with a cohesive unit that you've established you can basically do anything you can achieve any mission uh, that you know within reason is set upon you as an organization and is something that you need to accomplish Uh, you can do so if you have the optimism to not only set the goal but to reach the goal, and that becomes, I think, very, very important. And in some ways, uh, inculcating that optimism is a direct counterweight to the idea of outsourcing leadership thinking. That is, I think, what is so important about it. I think it is an essential feature of leadership. And uh, you know, if you are by nature an optimistic person, you have a much better chance at being a successful leader as assuming that you have the other traits that are required for the position that you're in or or are aspiring to, than someone who does not have those those particular traits or characteristics. And I think Vijay, that's very, very important for people to realize uh, it, it becomes an essential aspect of not only their organization, but what they really need to be for their for their people and for their efforts at mission accomplishment. age old saying
0: the best character characteristics of a man comes to light not during normal times but during challenging times during times of distress the true characteristics the true character of a personality begins to unfold now what this reminds me of cedric is we all are experiencing the same economic challenges Uh, challenges related to racism right now in the news that we are seeing every minute, challenges related to health. And as an example, Facebook, as a social media organization has decided to choose a path that is different from Twitter. Once again, a social media organization. I think the takeaway from this particular situation to me at least Cedric is, how you respond to a situation, how do you, uh, going back to the, the, the bigger thinking of uh, servant leadership, leadership styles and approaching or uh, rather amplifying the the common ground thinking, one of the things that I think we need to do is step into, not away from the development of what's happening. I feel like Facebook may have walked away from the situation and Twitter looks like it has walked into the development of the problem. They're contributing in a meaningful way to the dialogue that allows us to embrace uncertainty. It allows us to navigate complexity by taking a position. It also helps us to lead with empathy, curiosity, and also saying I'm committed to my, my core passion here is delivering information, and I'm going to stay true to that so simply put run towards the fire
1: in a meaningful manner in essence yes and run to the fire with the right kind of protective gear so that you you know protect the sanctity of your operation I and you know, basically of your people. I uh, And I think that, you know, when you look at the uh, different approaches that Facebook and Twitter have taken, Vijay, I think that what you're seeing here is, you know, two different types of visionaries uh, in, working in their respective environments. Uh, in the Facebook case, though, you're looking at a situation where they're comfortable with the model that they are in. And they are loath to change, they're reluctant to change that model, uh, because it's making them money, quite frankly. Uh, On the Twitter side of things, uh, there seems to be, at least at the moment that we're speaking, a much more daring, uh, you know, some would say confrontational approach to the issues at hand, and uh, it seems as if they're trying to evolve with the situation. Of course, it remains to be seen exactly how all of this will play out, and there are going to be many, many factors that are going to be in play here, but, uh, you know, as things develop, uh, any static effort, in other words, any effort to keep things the way they are, in essence, a degree of stasis within an organization, I can be very difficult to maintain as everything around it is changing. And so, you know, from that perspective, I would argue uh, that uh People have, you know, who are in situations like Facebook is finding itself in, uh, need to really understand what the greater consequences of their failure to do something or their reluctance to do something are. Uh, they also need to take a look. If you're in, on the Twitter side of things, you need to take a look and see. Uh, if the path that you have chosen forward, as dynamic as it appears to be, is that going to give you uh, the type of uh, platform as it evolves that you want to have in the future for a social media company? Or is it something that, uh, you know, is is something that they can actually achieve? If you're going to uh, start uh, validating content and perform the role of an editor, uh, that requires an effort that uh, you may or may not be ready for. And that's the kind of thing where planning, in addition to vision, becomes a key factor in being able to realize the goals of a mission and the goals of a business and the ability of that organization to to thrive in a different environment.
0: Now, that's that's the analysis, I think, is a need of the hour. And one of the ways I connect this, what's unfolding in front office in the social theater, uh, I have seen this in action in leadership scenarios, Cedric, and I kind of approach it this way. We have to be both action-oriented and reflective at the same time. The challenge is reconciling the paradox of pause and action. The reason is in my book, they both are critical elements of leadership, active listening, active passing such a paradoxical equation Cedric but I think that's what is needed we need to be both action oriented and reflective at the same time in order to evolve our leadership decisions and in the case of uh, Facebook and Twitter Cedric a decision path has been initiated and that path needs to be evolved through active reflection and of course course correcting as we go but if it becomes, a st- as you just pointed out a few minutes ago, if it's stasis, right, if, if the decision is one-dimensional, then we have lost the concept of leadership, in my opinion, and we have just decided to be stagnant. So I think we are in the precipitous of understanding with the new normal, how do we evolve into a more action-oriented, reflective, And a better society.
1: Absolutely, VJ. And I think one of the key things to to note, uh, you know, in in this is that stagnation is not an organization's or a leader's friend. Uh, It becomes very important uh, to avoid either stagnation in operational matters or stagnation in thought. And certainly, stagnation in execution is a very dangerous situation to be in. And on that note,
0: Cedric, thanks for a wonderful conversation. Talk to you in the next episode.
1: Absolutely, Vijay. It's always a pleasure and look forward to the next one. I'm Cedric Layton for Elevate Intel. And this is B J. Vishwanathan for Elevate Intel. Thank you.